Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is part two of The Antidote for Longing by Carl Dondonel. Carl Dondonel is a graduate of Viable Paradise and a full member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association. He and his family, plus their cat overlords, live on an island near San Francisco famous for its Victorian architecture and low speed limits. His preferred drinks are strong Swedish tea and single malt whiskey. This is Carl's third appearance in Metaphoresis. Following comes the Tinker and Papa Pedro's children. Find him online at firewombats.com or on Twitter at kdondanell. That's K-D-A-N-D-E-N-E-L-L. The narrator, Thomas Baxter, lives in Bath, England, and is a student at Bath School of Music and Performing Arts. He has just started his own production company, with his first full show slated for 2024. Here's what's happened in the story so far. Lars Bjornsson, the disgraced Swedish imperial poisoner, has been living in exile for the past three years because he failed to assassinate the son of the Russian Tsar. One day, a messenger brings a letter from his old friend, the imperial physic, Frederick Magnusson. Frederick informs Lars that Emperor Gustavus Adolphus is deathly ill and they believe him poisoned, though they cannot be certain. They need Lars's skill to determine a possible antidote before word gets out and triggers a succession crisis since Gustavus has no heir. Lars decides to assist Frederick and fulfill his duty to the Emperor despite the threat of imprisonment and death that hangs over him every step of the way. Let's jump in. I considered the nondescript servant's entrance of Stromsholm Palace. As much as I wanted to see the brilliant gold-leaf plasterwork of the main doors again, I could appreciate the caution of this approach. With a deep breath, I straightened my cap and pulled the door open, revealing Friedrich Magnusson. He squinted against the daylight. Lars, is that you? Who else would it be, you old goat, I said. The imperial physic's white hair and large droopy moustache was a welcome sight, momentarily pushing aside my worries. His long coat was dyed simple green, although his tailor had added intricate patterns of gold thread along each cuff. For the love of St. Catherine, Friedrich, let's go inside before my nether regions freeze off. You southerners are so delicate, he said. Denmark is hardly Iberia. Volkommen, my friend. His strong arms embraced me. The Emperor's condition is not improved, he whispered, his moustache tickling my ear. I'll tell you more once we have some privacy. It's good to see you too. I held Friedrich a moment longer, then followed him through one of the kitchens, where he handed me a serving basket. Enter some canelbala, would you? He said in a deliberately casual tone. The nearby tables were covered with trays of marzipan cookies, dried apple tarts and rolls, still warm from the ovens. I've never seen so many sweets outside Yule Tip. My mouth watered. I'd eaten only a spare breakfast and missed the lunch due to the messenger's arrival. It's been like this for weeks, Friedrich said. The Emperor demands pastries at every meal, and between meals, and sometimes in the middle of the night. No wonder his dyspepsia has returned. I filled our basket and inhaled deeply. 
Oh, I've missed these. Yama's bakers, while skilled, were mere epigons of those of court. Friedrich appropriated a coffee carafe and porcelain cups, then took me to a small chamber assigned to him. It was warm, with a cheery fire, a writing desk and chair, a bed, and two familiar items. A chaise lounge and a large chest of drawers holding his medical tools and herbs. As a member of court, Friedrich was allotted a large travel allowance and personal baggage, not up to the standards of Dotteringholm, but comfortable. More comfortable than my first fortnight in Yelna, I assure you. It had taken me months of wooing patrons before I could afford to replace my furnishings or even adequately heat my house. He closed the door and poured coffee. Some colour in your cheeks. I hung my coat by the fire. So you started a rumour that the Emperor had dyspepsia and gout. Spymaster Vikram's idea, replied Friedrich. An excellent idea. Maya's always been clever. Dangerously so. I raised my cup and sipped. Once the story made the rounds, I suspect the nobles and their respective entourages fled back to Stockholm as soon as they could make their excuses. Gustavus Adolphus's tolerance for fools was low at the best of times. Under distress of illness, he lost all sense of decorum and became the very model of an irritable autocrat his enemies imagined. Indeed, said Friedrich, with only the family servants, guards, and a few senior advisers still in attendance. We may be able to resolve this problem before it becomes a public crisis. He sounded confident, chewed his moustache nervously. I was once well acquainted with the Emperor's circle and maintained a well-annotated mental map of political relationships, much like I had organised my battalions in the Prussian campaigns. Yet, it had been three years since my last appearance at court, which meant my intelligence was woefully outdated. Much as I hated to admit it, I had depended extensively on Maya's insight. She whispered secrets across the pillow rather than words of love. Now, I was left only with Friedrich's gossip. I sighed inward. When did the actual illness start? About a week ago. We've been touring the provinces, as one does, taking the measure of the nobles before the official birthday celebration, a week after Epiphany. I tore a roll in half and dipped. I remember Gustavus's 60th. Quite fate. The entire event had been so expensive that every noble was assessed a special levy above and beyond their expected gift to the emperor. This one is much worse, said Friedrich, shaking his head. Days on the road, nights filled with feasts, concerts, dances and parties. Even the strongest veteran from the Scottish campaigns would have found the pace challenging, let alone an elderly man who sleeps with eight feathered pillows. I said, his majesty used to jest that if the Society of Poisoners could find ways to prolong men's lives as easily as end them, we'd all be rich as Croesus. You poor physics would have naught to do but pull rotten teeth and treat the pops. Friedrich frowned at the bar. As I was saying, His Majesty's personal servants called upon him at the usual hour but could not rouse him. Fearing illness, they summoned me. My examination found only a slight fever, though his heart sounded like a newly captured bird flinging itself against its cage. With some reluctance, my suspicions turned to poison. 
as wonderful as it is to see you, my friend, you risked your reputation, and possibly my life, by bringing me here. Wouldn't it have been easier to consult Lord Anders? I couldn't bring myself to say the current imperial prisoner. Friedrich folded his hands. Most definitely not. Anders Sauber is dead. What? Set aside my role. My appetite gone. Joseph, one of the footmen, found him collapsed at his writing desk, a suicide note under his hand. Poor Goober. As much as I disliked Anders, he was always a status-seeking popinjay. He'd been a member of the society. At the end of the day, he deserved the benefit of the doubt. I spoke a short prayer to St. Catherine. Friedrich said, My thought is that the villain tried to poison the Emperor and having failed, took his own life to avoid a lengthy and painful confession in the hands of the spymaster before his eventual execution. That's one possibility. Maya might have been a gentle and kind mother, but her public persona lacked mercy. Another possible is a larger plot. Anders was the plot. When he discovered it, the assassins killed him. Or he took his own life out of shame. Poisoners swore on their lives to obey and protect their sovereign. If that were the case, why didn't he say something? Friedrich scratched his beard. Oish! There'll be time enough later to invent conspiracies. What we have to do right now is treat the Emperor. Agreed. I'll need to examine him. Ah, said Friedrich. That might prove difficult. I'm the only one allowed to see him. Spymaster Vicklund's orders. Where is the Emperor? In the winter guest bedchamber. We're in luck then, I said. Come with me. Friedrich set a cocked beater hat with a gold brooch on his head and followed me down several hallways, passing liveried servants, until we reached the gallery of a large tapestry and oil painting. The entire space was quiet as a church, confirming Brigitte's report that the strolling lute players were idle. I stopped before a depiction of Wilhelm the Conqueror, astride a white warhorse. You can almost see the wind whipping the animal's mane. The demon lamps, cleverly positioned to either side, cast almost no shadow, creating an overall effect of afternoon summer light. The Duke of Upperland spares no expense to display his art, I said. Or perhaps he brought them in specially for his majesty's visit, said Friedrich. There's old soot on the wall over here that smells of whale oil. An older bewigged servant strode through the gallery, his wooden heels clicking against the stone. As he passed, he paused and bowed toward Friedrich. Good morning, Lord Physic. Do you have a question regarding the tapestry? No, no, I'm fine. Servant turned to me. And you, General? None. Thank you. Very well. If you need anything, please don't hesitate to ask. My name is Oscar. He bowed. Wait, I do have a question, I said. Are you familiar with Madame Toten's son's restaurant near Ulekstraal? I have dined there, said Oscar. Tell me, I said. Does she still have a private room for Carl? 
Very much so, lowered his voice. Though I am sad to inform you she now requires a fee to play. Scandalous. I dug in my pocket for a silver stack. Here, I said. Please partake the next time you are there. Oscar nodded. Many thanks, sir. Continued on his way. I waited a good minute, listening carefully to his departing footsteps and my pounding heart. Why did you do that? asked Friedrich. I thought you wished to remain inconspicuous. I gave him a coin and no name. Such transactions are anonymous. There was some risk, admittedly. It had been so long since I'd heard any gossip from Stockholm that I couldn't help myself. Let us proceed. I felt the wall along the tapestry's edge until I found a familiar slot. Here we are. I pressed the recessed keys in the sequence. There was a soft click, and a panel swung inward, revealing a hidden passageway. Quickly. I'll be right behind you. Friedrich ducked under the edge of the tapestry. I slid in and closed the door behind us. Bide a moment. On a shelf adjacent to the door, I located a patch box with a goodly supply of char cloth and beeswax candles. A minute later, I coaxed enough flame to light a candle. Where does this lead? said Friedrich. Several places, including the winter bedchamber, I replied, when I trained here with Maya. She used to bring secret couriers through or arrange assignations, depending on the visitor. You trained with the spymaster herself? He sounded impressed. She wasn't the spymaster then, I said. Surely you don't expect me to believe that was the only thing you did together, said Friedrich. I will say only we shared common interests, I replied. The society had taught me the best poisoner is the amalgam of a physic and a spy, and Maya had been quite willing to explore those territories with me. Best we keep quiet now. We soon arrived to a plain wooden door with a dusty brass knob, which I took as a sign that no one had passed this way recently. Friedrich pressed his ear to the door. I hear nothing, he whispered, and slowly turned to the knob. We emerged into a room dominated by a large, canopied bed. Upon it lay Gustavus Adolphus, Emperor of Scandinavia and Northern Europe, including Prussia, Austria, and the Netherlands. Small demon lamps and a blanketed fire cast a soft glow over the sea. We're alone, Friedrich said. Go ahead. I quickly examined my sovereign. The years since our last meeting had not been kind. His face was thinner and more lined, the skin pale, almost waxy. His pupils were dilated and did not shrink when I brought a lamp close to his face. I also confirmed he was breathing shallow, though his heart was indeed working harder than it should. What have they done to him? With great care, I tilted the Empress' head and exposed the tongue, which had a particularly dark coating. Taking my kerchief, I rubbed it over the tongue to get a sample. Finally, I straightened the bedclothes, noting the old man's aroused state. We returned to the secret passage and I directed Friedrich to another exit that opened into a book-filled chamber. The Emperor's travelling library. The glowing coals in the fireplace did little to chase away my chill. 
fear God will have the Emperor all too soon unless I devise an antidote, I said. Friedrich chewed the edges of his moustache. You think it's a poison, then? It's not one of the 29 poisons, but it certainly has the feel of one. I said. Something about the Emperor's condition resonated in memory, like a distant church bell, familiar yet quickly fading. If you can't recognise the poison, nor either disease, you're lost, said Friedrich. I would give my best winter coat to talk to Lord Anders right now. I'm sure he could enlighten us. If you could talk to Lord Anders, the bishop would burn you for a witch, said Friedrich. However, we might divine something from his room. An old woman wearing a stained, shapeless dress and worn leather shoes was sweeping up shards of pottery and glass as we entered Anders' chamber. A tall, young footman stood nearby, feeding the fire with pages that he tore from a nook. Yevla! shouted Friedrich. Devils! What's going on here, Joseph? The woman dropped her eyes and bent into a stuttering curtsy, her joints crackling. Joseph said, The Chamberlain ordered this chamber cleaned, Lord Physic, and ripped out another page. Did he also tell you to destroy Imperial records? I spoke with as much authority as I could muster. Get out, both of you. The woman picked up her bucket and broom. Leave the bucket, I said. She bobbed her head and departed, followed by the footman, who offered a tattered notebook with the barest of bows. Friedrich closed the door behind them. I advise we search quickly. See what's in the desk, I said. I'll peruse the wardrobe. The wardrobe's main compartment held neat stacks of clothing, silk shirts, body liners and hose. When I dug through the pockets of a sky-blue brocade jacket, I discovered a poisonous flask, which I pocketed. On the wardrobe's top shelf, I found Anders' poison kit. Inside lay neat rows of stoppered glass vials. Three vials were missing. I scanned the remaining labels, deciphering the society code. Friedrich, have you found anything? He'd laid out the desk's contents on the glit blotter. Spare candles, new quills... A small trimming knife with a bone handle, bottles of ink, and a novel. Nothing interesting, unless you have a fancy for The Sailor Returns to Tonsberg. He found the pages and found a scrap of parchment serving as a bookmark. Apparently, said Friedrich, skimming the page, the titular character is fascinated by the baker's daughter whose breasts are described in great detail. Ah, the agony of young love. Close the book. I'll bet you all the butter in Smolland this was written by some proxy clerk whose only experience with women was gazing upon the statue of the Blessed Virgin. Useless. What of the note? I flipped through the remaining pages. Mostly the words. I have failed and forgive me, and some scratched out minds. A draft of his suicide note, one presumes. Fire has the rest. Bring over a candle, Friedrich. 
I borrowed a pair of leather gloves from the wardrobe and carefully shook out the servant's bucket. Friedrich held a flame close, nearly singeing his beard as he leaned in. I picked through the glass until I found the poison kit's missing labels. Something's amiss. How so? This is Ottoman madness. Which is quick but agonising. Poor choice for suicide. Perhaps he panicked and made a mistake, said Friedrich. Unlikely. A good poisoner always keeps a personal dose of dreamcaller or cloudless sky on hand to avoid capture. And inevitable questioning. And even if Anders didn't, he had umber sorrow and autumn sunset in his kit. I shook my head. As a member of the society, Anders took an oath to protect the Emperor at any cost. He would have given his life to fulfil that oath. I sucked the glass into the bucket and stripped off the gloves. I believe he was silenced to cover the attempted regicide. So they may try again, said Friedrich. It's what I would do, I admitted. If his majesty hadn't banished me, I would have returned to Moscow and finished the mission. Lars, please, we must focus, he squeezed my shoulder. What poison would have manifested such symptoms in the emperor? Mad monk would explain the heartbeat. But a deep sleep is more akin to miner's fate. An old memory arose, tinged with nostalgia. But I couldn't quite hold it. Could we not try and treat the emperor for both, to be sure? That's not a wise cause, I said. Honestly, I'm at a loss. My stomach growled. Hungry is stupid, said Friedrich quoting one of our old academic lectures. Let's get you a proper meal, and then perhaps things will make more sense. You're probably right. I picked up the notebook. Friedrich winked and grabbed the novel. Once we were safely ensconced in Friedrich's chamber, he put the novel on the desk and tossed a log on the fire. I eased into the shades and pulled my shoulders back. Everything cracking and popping. Damn that carriage. They are difficult on the bones, said Friedrich. Do you want a brandy? After some food. I'll scavenge something up once I've checked on the Empress. He poked the fire. The fewer people who see you, the better. We've been lucky so far, I said. Why are you seeing the Empress? Is she also ill? Tired and irritable. Not sleeping well, apparently, he said. Until recently, Empress Anna has been visited by her husband most nights on this tour. Some say some maid. Friedrich rose and brushed a bit of ash from his trousers. Throw the bolt behind me. I'll give the academy knock when I get back. I wrapped the chair frame with my knuckles. A six-beat staccato. Signalling a proctor was patrolling the dormitory. Perfect, said Friedrich. I'll return forthwith. I bolted the door as instructed, then stretched out, thinking a short rest might restore my wits. When I closed my eyes, though all I could see was Anders' face stretched in agony after consuming Ottoman madness, 
In Lapland, there was a monastery called the Eternal Crevice. As part of my society training, I spent an autumn there studying the monks and their astonishing immunity to 17 of the 29 poisons. The key, they said, was an ancient breathing practice and daily recitation of an eight-word Norse prayer handed down by the gods themselves. For years, the society had tried to reproduce this secret knowledge. How much easier would assassinations become if the poisoner could drink from the same cup as a target? The monks taught me the prayer and sat next to me for hours, working my belly like a bellows to infuse me with the freezing air and divine presence. My efforts failed, like the other poisoners before me. Fortunately, my compatriots were able to administer the antidote before the swallow of miners' fate froze my lungs completely. Since then, I had occasionally returned to the breathing practice when fatigued or struggling face another day of false smiles and empty platitudes from my patrons. I set the candle close by and placed both hands on my belly. With an eye on the flame, I filled and emptied my lungs as forcefully as possible. After two hundred breaths, a great sense of calm descended on me, reminiscent of my first taste of dream Dream. I retrieved Anders' flask from my pocket. When I unscrewed the top, the odour that emerged was not, as I expected, the copper and rosemary of Dreamcaller, nor was it the earthly petrichor of Ottoman madness. It was something else entirely. Thickly sweet, like honey or burnt sugar, it was the aroma of Christmas dinner at the Imperial Academy with its giant gingerbread castle and caramel-mortared battle mats. Someone knocked at the door. Not now! I rummaged for my kerchief, held it close to my nose, inhaling deep, closed my eyes, and slipped into memory. Party, music, and drunken laughter, students in their finery, handing out goblets of punch. The knock repeated, Six beats. The memory vanished. All right. I threw open the door. Friedrich stood there, balancing a tray, piled with cold meats, breads, cheese, and more pastries. Help me, will you? I took the tray. He bolted the door, then cleared the space on the desk. I bear good tidings. From his coat, he produced a bottle of brandy and two tiny glasses. The Empress is with child, he whispered fiercely. He uncorked the brandy, practically dancing. Most exciting tidings, sir, I said. Thank St. Catherine. Indeed. I can't wait to tweak the spy master's nose. Once the Emperor is well, of course. He filled our glasses. Skull! Skull! I drank, then proceeded to lay a cheese on bread. Tweaking would this be? He snagged a slice of ham. She confided her worry that the Emperor might be too old to father a child. She hinted, with all the care and subtlety you'd expect from her, that there might be something I could do. An aphrodisiac. Clearly, he raised his glass. I informed her that I was the Imperial Physic, 
not some weird woman huddled over the cauldron in the forest. If God wanted the Emperor to have another child, he would provide. Friedrich chewed noisily. The best thing I could do was encourage husband and wife to cleave unto each other, which they have been. Apparently our Lord agreed with your suggestion. I broke open a roll, releasing scents of marzipan and burnt sugar. It smelled like Gustavus's mouth. Friedrich? Hmm? He said, topping up his glass. How long has the baker been making extra marzipan rolls? And other sweetmeats? Not sure. Perhaps a few months? After you had this exchange with Maya? I think so, yes, he said. The facts were starting to form a worrisome pattern. When I examined the Emperor earlier, did you happen to notice his state of arousal? I took it as a sign of his general health and vitality. What about last night? And this morning? Before you sent for me? Was he the same? Friedrich frowned. He was. Though I failed to see how that matters. The hairs of the back of my neck rose. And you're positive the Empress is gravid. I wouldn't make a proclamation in Stockholm's central tour yet, just yet. But yes, she is. What has this blessed event have to do with the Emperor's illness? Because he's being poisoned, I said. And, you fool, what were you thinking? He fixed me a serious look. You said it wasn't one of the known poisons. I said it wasn't one of the twenty-nine. Strictly speaking, it's hardly a poison at all. But it is known within the society. I took a bite of my sandwich. We call it Sweet Agony. That was part two of The Antidote for Longing by Carl Dondonell. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in the last Friday of September for the conclusion of the story. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.